welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses, and more importantly, the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Two things come up regularly in these podcasts. Firstly, a life in hospitality, food or drink is very often a second or maybe even a third career. I'm thinking of Rupert Holloway at Conquer Gin, who gave up surveying to set up his own distillery, or maybe Claire Burner at Chococo swapping marketing for freshly made chocolates. Now, as the winner of the Formula One World Championship in 1979, this week's guest, Jody Schechter, certainly knows a thing or two about a very different career. And secondly, obsession. Maybe William Curley creating the very best chocolates, or Jeffro Tennant and his obsession about sea salt. Jody certainly takes things to the extreme. He started with such a simple idea, how to find the very best, tastiest, healthiest food for his family. That simple seed of an idea has taken Jody on an incredible adventure, learning the most phenomenal amount about every stage from seed to plate. In fact, before the seed, Jody and his team of biologists and chemists spent eight years just researching the soil. As he says, everything we eat that does not come from the sea at some point came from the soil. So if you have an obsessive nature of striving for the best and of always winning, that is the natural place to start. As the founder of Laverstoke Park Farm, Jody Schechter is known for his commitment to biodynamic and organic farming and his herd of water buffalo, which provide the milk for award-winning mozzarella and ice cream. Laverstoke Park Farm has also diversified into hops and ales, sparkling wine and even black pudding. While these products are varied, the vision underpinning them is always the same, to be the best tasting and healthiest without compromise. Jody and Laverstoke Farm also just happened to host Chris Evans' Car Fest every year and have raised over £1.5 million for charity. He even gets to bring the Ferrari he won the World Championship in onto his farm to enjoy the occasion. I very much hope you enjoy this week's conversation. Jody Schechter, thank you so much for sparing the time to be on the podcast this morning. Very much appreciated. Can you just explain to people listening where on planet Earth are we, please, Jody? I can see sheep. Hampshire, we're in Hampshire, halfway between Southampton and London. Beautiful place, one hour from London. Yeah. Um, and this is your farm? This is where it all happens? This is the farm that all happens, yeah. My yeah. house is on that side of the farm. Okay. Pointing right to people who uh, who can't see you. Um, so, um, we're going to dive on. I'm excited to meet you, Jody. I haven't done a little bit of research about your obsessive kind of nature on, on all things food and drink, from the soil to the food, but also your your history, I guess, as a, an obsessive, which I'm guessing you must be to uh, win the Formula One championship. But I'll start. What you're probably most famous for at the moment, I guess, is uh, is mozzarella uh, and buffalo. Can you just talk to me a little bit about how many, uh, how many buffalo do you have here? Why buffalo? Because that's pretty unusual to see in the English countryside, I think. How did that come about? Well, you know, how do I produce the best tasting, healthiest food? We follow nature very strictly. Um, and we have two main uh, principles. One is slow growing animals and plants are generally healthy and taste better. And bio biodiversity is a key to a healthy natural environment. And uh, so I went to see some buffalo really for more diversification. Right. And then I thought, well, I'm going to get the buffalo. I got the buffalo and... Uh, obvious thing to make was mozzarella and then I bought several herds I had two and a half thousand buffalo at one time wow um, on other farms now we have under a thousand we have two other farms milking for us although we're going to bring that on site we've just expanded our dairy um, and then uh, the factory we went in and did a lot of research in Italy to do the most handmade mozzarella without having two Italians here. 
<laughs> and so we bought the equipment and uh, actually outside the Ferrari factory, this uh, Dima, which is a brilliant equipment. And um, took us took us a long time to get it consistent. There's so many little factors and we're still working on it. Which is amazing for one product, I think, isn't it? And I was saying this to you just before we started, but I love meeting people who have an obsession in a niche and, and just work on that one thing uh, well, for so well, long. I, I, I was very stupid. I had 109 products or 120 products at one stage going into Okada, and I wanted to make everyone absolute. Um, and then I had an artisan lady in the dairy, and she was doing all cheeses. We had nearly every cheese there, brie, and the brie with buffalo was brilliant sometimes. And um, we did cheddar, we did gouda, we did... Um, what you learn though very quickly is if you don't refine, you can you can make something, but if you don't refine it and refine it and refine, you don't get a brilliant product. So, yeah. so now we concentrate on mozzarella um, and ricotta and you know, the ones associated with that, um, and um, ice cream, buffalo ice cream, which is brilliant, but it's expensive. I text my chef this morning to find out if we were still using some of your products because I know we used to have your mozzarella and we don't have mozzarella on the menu at the moment. But his reply was, their ice cream is the best ice cream you can get. Whose so, ice cream? Uh, yours. Yeah, yeah, he loves it. My, I, I always say Quentin. that. I always challenge chefs. I said, that's where we make the best ice cream in the world. Yeah, no, and you can see them cringing like yeah. that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the thing is we don't get uh, a base and then put flavours in. Every one of ours are tweaked like this so we'll do i don't know let's say 10 different chocolate ice creams and then we get in and say okay that one's the best and then we come well i want a little two percent four percent six percent more of that two percent less of that and that's how we develop our, our every ice cream is developed like that yeah amazing and you, you mentioned some cheese so the brie you don't do anymore is that is that to do with consistency i remember uh, interviewing emma from blue vinny uh, cheese and she was like almost every batch you make is a, is a living kind of product. She was like, you know, they've been doing it. Her, her granddad had set it up, I think, 60 years. And I was like, you know, they still hadn't nailed the product. It was continually evolving. Yeah, is that the same yeah. with, with, with your yeah, products? Yeah, I mean, what, what happened is I had a, a, a Dutch lady that was an artisan uh, cheesemaker, and she did all these uh, uh, cheeses, nearly every cheese. So, so then when she left, I went in there, and it, was a disaster really the processes weren't right um so so i mean the with the brie the, the i went in there and they i said your brie's no good and they were very unhappy that i'd just come in and interfered with them so i said okay bring all the brie out like this and the ones that were two weeks were more mature than the ones that were three months and i threw half of them away because they weren't good enough to sell and I think they got the idea. And that's when we started, um, one of my operations guy and I, we went in there and just refining, refining, refining stopped all those other um, cheeses. We made brie for a while uh, and it was brilliant, but it's not, it wasn't a good product for us. Right. And is, is mozzarella the same? Is it, it's, a, it's a living thing that's difficult to get consistency or is it... Uh... Yeah, we don't still don't understand it totally. There's no question. I'm doing a lot of development. Went down to a, f a factory in in Italy and got a lot of the finer points. Um, we've got the flavour probably as good as they've got in Italy, uh, in the in the best parts of Italy. Uh, our texture's not quite there yet, but we will get there soon. So, what what sort of stuff affects that? Because how long have you been making mozzarella? Oh, no, probably about eight years. Eight years, something okay. like that. So, uh, yeah, an, an obsession. I'm going to say for eight years, and, and still tweaking it. What sort of stuff? Like, what what changes can you make that affect texture? Well, the storage liquid is very, very critical. So, if you and that's pH and and salt, and that's very, very critical because if you've got too low a pH, then it goes hard, and if you've got too little, it just disintegrates. So we've refine that, refine that, and refine that. I've got alarms in there in case when we make it because we made one batch and then we didn't see until the computer that it was the wrong pH. And we test uh, three times a week, we test every batch until it's well over the, the what do you call it, um, best before date. 
So, and then after like three days, it was just, you know, going soft. We looked at it, we had done the wrong pH, withdrew everything that we had done. And so now we have alarms in the factory. So immediately we get a, we get a pH that's going wrong, the alarms will come on. Wow. I don't think consumers have any idea about the kind of the level of uh, yeah, work that has to go into these uh, oh, products. An incredible amount of small details. Yeah. You know. And would that be very different? I'm thinking of those little plastic pouches that you pick up in the supermarket. I don't want to make you angry so early in the uh, in the interview, Jody. But those well, little—that's what we do now. Yeah. The, the, okay. But but in general, the stuff you pick up off the supermarket shelf is that a very different well, product? Well, first of all, a lot, a lot of people don't understand. You've got cow's mozzarella and buffalo mozzarella, and that's a completely different product. Yeah. Cow's mozzarella is probably more well is more for for pizzas, mm-hmm. um, and then buffalo mozzarella is a different product. And if you, I like it only with tomato, basil, mm-hmm. some uh, olive oil. Um, see, a lot of the, a lot of the, even the buffalo mozzarella has very little taste. So if you put it in a salad and put balsamic on it, well, you're only doing texture. You're not going to taste anything of of, of the mozzarella. Mm. Yeah, I went on a program with James Martin, where he came and. Uh, looked how we do the buffalo and milk it and everything and then part of it was go down to and he would do something with it right. and uh, so he cooked this thing and I thought oh this uh, sauce which was made out of uh, plums and I thought well that'd be good for our ice cream and then he he, he did it was put some bacon around it and and I but it was terrible. <laughs> and and I, I couldn't say, whoa, this is beautiful. Right. And uh, I said, well, you try it. <laughs> and he walked away. I thought he's going to come and hit me. <laughs> but but, but it, 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 uh, he's a good friend of mine. So, so, okay, so, so was, you can get away with it. I agree with you, though, that buffalo, mozzarella, tomato, olive oil are just beautiful, especially if you happen to be sat in Italy in the sunshine with an icy cold beer at the same time. Yeah, if you've got a wine. good product. That's, yes. For me, that's a, in, in fact, in Italy, the, for the first, the, uh, then that's a different product. Ours is a, a retail product, so it's got to last 15 20 days right over there they'll have a product that lasts five days yeah so at the first one two maybe three days they just have it as it is right and then they start with the tomato mozzarella and what's but that's uh, that's a different product okay presumably some of the quality also comes back to what the buffalo are eating do they so how yeah how far back through it to, to, to for you to get the product that you're happy with which i appreciate having even only known you for 10 minutes you're probably never going to be completely happy with but yeah how far back through the through the well, journey well, when i started the whole thing and and uh, i was very successful in america with a, a company that made simulators to train police and that's how i could come here and do do what i want to do and so i started in the soil because in Formula One and and Westham, you got to do every. I like to do every element myself, so I can get it right. Um, and so we start in the soil. And if you think everything we eat comes from the soil, except from the sea, and we have things: so healthy soil, is healthy grass, healthy animals, healthy meat and milk, and healthy people. Can't be any different. Mm. Um, and so I then looked around. I went around the world getting lectures, doing books. Um, and so I got a doctor in microbiology, a doctor in chemistry. I had a full chemistry lab, um, four mass spectrometers. I could tell anything in anything. And I wanted to understand what was in the soil, what was in the grass, and how it went through. And the biology of the soil, which is the biology is what makes the soil available to the plant, which very few farmers understand that. Uh, because it was, it's you know, from I suppose from the beginning of last century, it was all chemistry. Um, but but biology is becoming much more um, much more accepted and 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 um, looked at by farmers. And so that's then. Then the next thing was the grass. So diversity, which I said earlier, we have thirty-one herbs, cloves, and grasses in our grasses. Um, researched it and. Um, changed it, went, went really into books of the history and there was a guy in, with 1908, he was the first one putting them all together when we went to 25 and now we have 31. Changed them, there were, there were studies in the mountains in Switzerland and Italy where some of the herbs w- w- made it better and some of it made it worse, so chucked some out, put some in. Um, uh, and then, yeah, it's, it's complicated. 
it's uh, we, I thought Formula One was complicated, but nature <laughs> yeah. is much, much more complicated. I'm smiling because I just again I, I love that uh, obsession that you will you know deliberately go out there and you know change the makeup of the grass. Not enough farmers seem to start with that, do they? It, it, quite the opposite. It seems the, that we're the sad part is it's all volume. Farming is volume, so you get paid for volume. So the more more milk you can get out of a cow, and mostly water in a way. Because, you know, a buffalo is an old type of cow. It's an old bovine. And so you get half the milk from it, but the milk has got twice as much of most things in. So it's a beautiful milk. But is it commercially good? Unless you're very specialized, which is mozzarella, you can make it work. But um, most of the products, if, if it's old varieties, they taste better. Maybe they don't last as long. Maybe they're not as pretty in the supermarket. But um, they don't get paid for that, you know. You yeah. can't get an apple that goes bad in three days in a supermarket. They'll never sell it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very lucky because I get to go and interview uh, a lot of people who share that kind of uh, yeah, passion, I suppose, for, for grow it slowly, grow it properly, grow it traditionally. It should be about flavor and quality and it shouldn't be about sort of mass production we seem to have gone through a period over the last 30 years where it's all been about uh, quantity and intensification do yeah, you feel that's been an interesting thing because i think like let's say seven eight years ago they talked about products but never did it the chefs and stuff i think that's become where they are using better products now and it's important to have better products in general yeah. So do you think we're going through a period of change positively? Is, is that intensification quality or sorry, quantity yes, over quality uh, trajectory I, continue or do you I, think we're on a genuine change? No, I, I'm just in a general change from what I see is that they want good ingredients now where they said they did yep. and now they do take good ingredients and understand. Because okay. I think the ingredients are the way you get the flavours. Massively. So yeah. if you put big sauces on something like the French do with bad meat, let's say, um, you, you're tasting the, the sauces and not the product. Yeah. And I, you know, most of the good chefs, they want, you know, you want to do very little to the product and let the, let the produce be the flavor. Yeah, massively. So if that's changing with the chefs, do you think that's rippling out to the consumer? Do you think the consumer is starting to understand the difference between well, cheap food and good must food? Be, must, must be, must be, to an extent, must be. Yeah, yeah must be because... Well, if, if the chefs are doing it, they're doing it because the public are accepting it and, and wanting it. Yeah, you know, good. So. I hope so, because, it, it, again, it's the point of having these conversations, I suppose, is trying to get the public to understand the difference between types of food and, and just be willing just to spend um, a little bit more. Yeah, it's interesting how much psych the psychological idea of food, or anything for that matter, changes because people think, wow, I'm going to a Michelin-style restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's going to be wonderful. You come out there and they've, wow, wow, I went to this Michelin-style and they have three stars and it's fantastic. Well, what did you enjoy there? Well, the experience. Would you go back for a certain plate? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think it's, uh, that's, um, that's the way it is. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, just going back very quickly. So Buffalo, you, you mentioned you had two and a half thousand. Where did you go? I don't know the history of Buffalo. Is it, did you get them from the UK? Did you need to go abroad to import yeah, them? Yeah, there was a guy that I went to see, the first guy I went to see, and he had a lot of Buffalo. I bought his herd and hired him. And right. he, he knew a lot about Buffalo. And so we bought another four or five herds. Okay, this was a British chap. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so homegrown. Yeah. Okay. And mostly homegrown. And um, and then we got some stuff from Italy, some bulls and stuff from Italy. And um, yeah, that's how, that's how it, that's how it went. Yeah. Okay. And they, they look slightly terrifying as somebody who goes out in the countryside and walks his dog because they have these big horns and they're big beasts, but they're actually a very placid. Yeah. Are they quite an easy going animal to yeah, farm? Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. They are. Um, They'll come up to you in the field, which a cow won't. Really? And um, it's quite frightening sometimes because yeah, okay. if I go in there for, for whatever reason and you stand there and then you look around and you've got about 15 buffalo right behind you. Only once I was there with a, a journalist and we were sort of down lady like this and one of the buffalo just took me like this and... Really? Yeah. Wow. Just threw, threw me. You know, you know, 
whatever reason, I don't know. But yeah, it is. I, I interviewed um, a chap called Tom Foot from the Open Air Dairy down in Devon. He had 850 cows, normal cows, out in a field, and I did get nuzzled between a Land Rover and his cows, and, and he literally just tickled them behind the ear. They were super friendly, uh, happy, relaxed animals. Probably partly due to the way that he was farming them. Yeah, no, um, definitely. I think I think all animals, uh, the the better you treat them, the the more placid they are and the more friendly they are. Yeah. Okay. Um, I read a little bit about you saying that uh, Brexit might actually be a positive thing for the for the mozzarella industry, and then and then going into some kind of battle um, directly with the Italians on who makes the best mozzarella. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because it made me smile. Yeah. So somebody came and one of came and interviewed me and said, "Well, we want want to find out what you, the the food you do is going to what can happen when it's Brexit." And I said, "Well, that's you know we make at least as good as Italy." And uh, we there the next day in the shop, and they take four or five days or before it's there. And so the the, the head of Campania, where the, the best mozzarella is made, uh, saw this and he sent it through the press. And he said, "Oh, that guy is uh, he's used to Grand Prix. We'll have the Grand Prix of mozzarella." And I loved that. And uh, we started doing. I even got the little case that you take hearts and everything. Uh, so that the temperature was exactly right when we went down there. But we do a retail and uh, they do one that goes bad in three days. So it was a different product, but they helped us fantastically. They looked after us. It was brilliant. Yeah. So, so you got there thinking it might, well, I don't know, going with the, uh, re represent Britain or re British mozzarella, but, uh, and actually it wasn't, Stupidly competitive, they actually opened the doors and were very hospitable yes, and very yeah, friendly. Very, was that a surprise? Were you expecting that or were you expecting it to be a little tense? Listen, I wanted to win. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I what wanted to do. I wasn't cared about that. Uh, yeah. But very pleasantly surprised that they, that they looked after us so well. Yeah, and then open their doors to actually help and give some advice on, yeah, on the product. They took me. They took me to different um, places where they're making mozzarella and yeah. places where they were doing uh, milking the cows, so we could learn. Um, it was brilliant. It's awesome, that isn't it? Because I think the press would like to do a kind of you know uh, we we oppose each other and we're competitive and we do, we don't get on. But in reality, it's human beings at the end of the day, isn't it? Behind yeah. the scenes of these businesses. Yeah, I think they thought it was a good idea at the beginning, but I think uh, they got a lot of flack from it because if I went down and beat them. You know, it's not very good for Italian mozzarella, yeah. but um, we're a very small percentage of the market in this country. And some strange reason, we are expensive compared to the Italian mozzarella. I don't really don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah, no, why is that? I you don't, don't know. I, <laughs> you don't, don't, the I don't understand it because they say their milk is more expensive than ours. And yet they get it here and cheaper. But Maybe they're miles bigger than us. I was say, is, it, is it purely scale? Or? I don't I know. know. You haven't answered that know. question. I yet. don't know. We, we, we battled to get contracts here. Yeah. I mean, we, we at the moment, Pret was our biggest customer. Right. And they stopped. They took it off the menu. Right. And so we're, we're only about 30% full now, you know, yeah. per capacity, which is quite sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because it, it is an amazing product. I say we, we don't sell at the moment, but we have done and it is yeah. beautiful. But uh, we'll come back to where people can uh, can buy it from. So uh, pre uh, the farming life, your most famous, I would say, for 1979 Grand Prix Formula One winner. Was there stuff? I'm getting the uh, the kind of sense that you're, you're uh, I, I presume you have to be pretty obsessive to win in F1 and it's all about the details and it's not just going out there and driving the car and it's, you know, it's a team and, and all that. Was there stuff it, it's for you? Everything. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you are thinking about what can you do to go faster. Yeah. So I'm guessing that, uh, I'm thinking about what you learned, I suppose, in those days and you bought to farming, but I'm guessing that you probably just bought it to life. Were you always uh, an obsessive sort of all-in kind of character? I was always a foodie. I was always a foodie and did a lot of exercise. Right. And so when I, when I retired from that, I went to America and started a company making simulators to train police and military how to use guns. <laughs> I'm laughing because how do you go from F1? Apart from the technical aspect, I suppose, how, where, you know, why F1 to uh, simulators? Well, so, uh, I saw, uh, I was living in Monaco and I saw this um, product that was made uh, that they shot at a screen so it was interacting with a movie I thought well that's a great concept a friend of mine in America said please need a system because they have a little uh, on the range something that turns around like this and runs a friendly and they shoot at that and so we went there and there was a technician that was doing one with video 
right. and a laser and went there and did a deal with him and I get a prototype and that's how it started. And 12 years later, we were in 35 different countries, had 95% of the world market. That's amazing. Last three years of 29, 60, $100 million sales. Wow. Why? If I wasn't only shareholder. Man. Right. Okay. And why was it Jody Schechter that bought it? Because it seems like an obvious thing, a simulator for firearms and training. It seems like that that would have happened, you know, without you. Why, why did you have an impact on that that made it so successful? Well, I think what I learned from, from Formula One is they develop technology faster than any time, even if faster than wartime. Yeah. So, so when I went over there, that was a natural because... I've been in workshops and doing technical development all my life. And so the, the, the step from there to, to uh, from racing to, to the simulators wasn't very big. It was developing technology as fast. So there were competitors, but we, we beat them all because we could develop something. There was an Israeli company that had something quite special and took it to a show. Looked at it, looked at it. We developed it and had it in production before they did. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. so, so that helped me. And the development of food is, has a lot of the same principles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing you must have loved being a, a, an F1 driver. From the outside, it looks like a great fun uh, thing to do. Did you? Yeah. You know, I, I think I try so hard that I think if you're enjoying it, you're not trying hard enough. Right. But that's, you know, a lot of people are, are different and they, uh, what's their name? I just want to win. <laughs> Did you enjoy doing the simulators? It was very exciting. Was it? Very exciting. I used to compare that to racing and you say, well, you know, how do you feel? I said, well, racing, everybody knows and you, you can do well and bad within a lap, you know, where you're great and then you're an idiot. Um, and uh, the, the company gives you same sort of satisfaction when you're doing well and it's all going well, but nobody knows except your shareholders. Were the other drivers as obsessed as, as you? You seem to bring, I get the impression that whatever you did, or and clearly whatever you do do, you bring this kind of, uh, I keep using the word obsession, I want to find a better one, but this kind of resilience and this never give up. Yeah, would, would you have bought that to anything and were, were your peers the same or is that why you won? Well, I think they, you know, had a, they motivate themselves in different ways. Right. Um, I've always been very bad if I do more than one thing. Yeah. And so I concentrate on one thing and then nothing else matters. Yeah. And uh, that's the only way I can do it well. I okay. mean, a lot of people can do a lot of things and do them quite well. Um, I can't do that. Yeah. I'm dyslexic and whatever else, whatever other, all the other weaknesses, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. So you, you end up in the US, you build this incredible company with huge turnover. What takes you from that to a tiny little village in, the, uh, in Hampshire? I have an English wife and she wanted to come back. So we sold the company and came back and bought 530 acres and said, okay, I'm gonna produce the best tasting, healthiest food for my Self and my wife, and then realized I've got to kill a cow, I've got to eat beef for eight weeks, I'm not going to do that. Bought the farm next door, had all these brilliant ideas, and uh, lost money for 15 years. <laughs> I read that, we'll come back to that. So it, literally in the early days, was it not going to be a commercial enterprise? I mean, 500 acres just to feed your family sounds like quite a lot, but was that the objective? Just uh, I didn't buy the land to feed the family. Um, I bought the land and then started to look at what are the best land. You know, what's the best tasting lamb and what's the best, listen, apples I wanted from those early season to the late season so I could pick a fresh apple all the time and just went to extremes in every single way. Um, With but, the plan that that was going to be a hobby rather than a business? I started out just as a hobby, what is the best lamb? And it was Hebridean lamb. And so, the, the, you know, the, that sort of thing. But then, uh, as I said, I realized I bought a farm next door five years later, and that's when it became commercial. Okay, you bought it with the plan that it would be commercial. You, you, yes, at that point I, you thought, right, I, let's, let's, let's I, do this as a living. I had these massive ideas. I wanted to do cheese with four different animals and then four different types of cheeses. So I had, And I wanted to be big enough so I could have good cheesemakers. Didn't know anything about anything. Yeah. It's dangerous, isn't it? I think having a bit of cash behind you, because most people have these crazy ideas and don't do anything, but you went and did it. You say that. I used to say, I'm lucky. I can do, uh, I can do it to the, to the most specialized way in the world, and it yeah. was, and it had diversification. 
Um, but actually, it you get the wrong culture in a company. Yeah. And I put the factories up, and I did this because I wanted to move fast. Yeah. And um, but th there was money leaking everywhere, and it mm. it wasn't commercially. It was terrible. So yeah. when we altered about four years ago, I said it's got to stand on its own, and we changed it and went. You know, we've got more specialized products. Hmm. Um, okay, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll come back to that because I'm interested in it. But was it straight away when you started, was organic the thing or did you just learn that basically organic tastes better? You, it, it started with I want the best product and therefore organic is the solution or did yeah. you always have that? No, 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 right? Best tasting healthiest food without a compromise is what we do. Right. And organic was part of that. Okay, it wasn't particularly linked to a environmental consideration, I suppose. It was literally, I want the best product. Or... No, you get it free. If you're trying to breed, if you're trying to get the best food, uh, best tasting, healthiest food, it'll it's good for the environment. Yeah. So that's that's like free. Okay. I think most people know organic, but you're also uh, biodynamic. Is that correct? Can you just yeah, biodynamic and more and more. Okay. So what does that mean? Well, biodynamic is a guy called Steiner in 1900-whatever it was, uh, felt that chemicals were bad. He did some lectures, and that became um, around the world um, a niche. What? Um, why did I go into biodynamics? Because they were real purists. Organic was, uh, was coming where they wanted to do it for a grant or whatever it is, but... But biodynamic was the real uh, passionate people that wanted to do the best. <laughs> and so that's why I became a biodynamic. Not on the whole farm. The, our, our vineyard is biodynamic and some other selected places. Um, okay. So in day-to-day -day management, what does that mean? Is, am I right in saying this is linked to the, the moon as well as uh, the, soil? The, is that the moon or? actually is, is something that's been adapted over time. So right. it wasn't Steiner's. But is that the case now? Does that, does that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, well, there's a lot of things that science, science and people won't say. You could take a horn and you put manure in and you bury it in the ground and you use that as a, as a put it in your compost teas and you spray it and it's called preparations and there's well, five preparations, I think. And so you've got to do all of those things. And people say, oh, no, that's, that, that's rubbish, you know. But, but I think just the passion of looking at the soil and watching your things so carefully is probably a big part of it. Yeah. Um, some people take that as a religion, absolutely don't. So you, you built a lab at one point and you brought in, was it the, uh, the professor, chemi you know, chem chem yeah, chemistry kind of guys, did they? Both, chemistry and biology. And biology. Doctor of chemistry, doctor of biology, the, the, the lab is still down there. The, it? We could not make it uh, commercial. Yeah. And I did, I did every every uh, enterprise I did on the company, on the farm, and what was involved was standing on its own. That's where the tent was. It wasn't because I, I had to have the same technology and equipment to do it just for me or do it for to, to become commercial. There's a lot of them that I couldn't make commercial and had to stop. Right. Shame. It feels like that sort of thing should be, you know, government funded. But what, what sort of stuff were you finding well, out? What, yeah, <laughs> what were they what were they doing? And, and was the stuff that they were learning, could it have an impact on yeah, you know, farming nationally, I suppose, rather than just well, you? Well, biology in the soil is, is a big thing. There's uh, Dr. Elaine Ingram. I went to lectures in America with her and then eventually I got hold of her and we said I want to do a license. We were the only licensed lab in Europe. Right. And... Um, there, there's just understanding what the biology does in the soil. And okay. the, the chemistry was something that was there a long time ago, but they only looked at a few. So I looked at every element, 92 elements. Wow. Uh, yeah. How long did you no. do that for? Hmm? How long did you have the lab for? Or well, the lamb running for, I still got the lab. Yeah. Yeah. Um, eight, nine, ten years, no, probably more than that. Oh, wow, long time. Yeah. And yeah. Um, were there some key findings that transformed what you did? Or? Uh, you know, the, the, the difference was we wanted to do development, but doing development and also making commercial at the time, and it wasn't commercial anyway, was very difficult. So it was ma mainly following what, uh, what we had learned, right. but it's following nature. Yeah. Whenever we thought we had a problem with whatever, the chickens or whatever it is, how was it in nature? And then we'd follow nature. We follow that's that's more than organic and everything else. Yeah, there's a farm, Polyface Farm in America. Do you have you heard of Polyface? Yeah, yeah. Be, I, had, I had him here. Did you? I had I had a lecture. I had a friend. Um, 
I've got his book down. He was the first, my wife gave him me a book because I had a little farm in America. My right. wife gave me his book. I looked at it, it made a lot of sense. And uh, I got, he came and did a lecture in Atlanta. I went and said, hello, anyway. Um, I got, when I got the farm, I got back hold of him and I right. said, I've got this farm, I want to do this. So he said, okay, he got eight guys from America and seven guys from Europe that, that were the best in organic farming in, in different elements and ways. And so they came and we did a seminar here for, for I think, three days. Wow. And uh, the first day they said, each of them said what they did. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then the second day I would say, this, this is what I want to do. <laughs> and they said, you stupid, it's too fast. <laughs> it's all this. I got a tape, but they, we did a, they did a videotape of it. And uh, the, they were right. I mean, it was, we were too diverse. Yeah. Um, but, but I felt that's what I wanted to do. And I did it to such an extent. Yeah, I guess they were right from a commercial perspective, but I, I, you know, not everything we do. I mean, it has to be commercial, I suppose. But but most of the f really good fun stuff you can well, do. Yeah, know, yeah, no. Well, you know, I I wanted to do it absolute. I didn't know anything about any of what I was doing, and mm. the the company in America was a complete from a business point of view was, was completely different. That was developing technology and selling. Right. Uh, I didn't even talk to accountants. Coming here, it's exactly, this is a more uh, traditional type of, from a business point of view. So you have accountants, you've got to understand, and, and meet, you've got to understand at the end of the day, did you make a profit or not? Because mm. the yield is everything. So, so um, yeah. yeah. Which is a shame that everything has to make a profit. But I guess I, my, my, the key thing I'm interested with the lab, I suppose, is that I'm looking out and you've got 2,000 acres of, of grounds. What can you learn, or did you learn anything in the lab that fundamentally changed you know, what you were doing on the land? Well, well we, 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 let's say we looked at what was developed before, Dr. Elaine Ingram on that, and we wanted to get ours to the best that it could be, yeah. the most biology, the most uh, organic matting. Elliot Coleman is the, the guy that, uh, um, and his book's down there. He's, okay. uh, so um, I kept friendly with him. I've spoken to him. He's come me over several times and stuff. You know. Yeah. He's a, and he knew all around the world, he knew most of the organic uh, purists at that time. Because right. in America, I went to a thing called Acres, and there was three days of lectures of soil, of grass health, of human health and everything. And um, so we went there, that's where we got, I've still got a lot of the tapes down there yeah. in the thing on what you've got to do in every, nearly every element of farming uh, and food production. So I'm in awe at the amount of knowledge you must therefore have in your head and what must be a frustration and a challenge of, of you know, how, I, how can that be I had in, What I had in my head. <laughs> well, yeah. I can't remember anything anymore. Yeah, but it feels like the, the, the British kind of farms need that knowledge and that information and you've spent so much time and put so much effort into understanding the, the firstly the problem and the history and then what the solutions are. But I feel that we should... You know, we shouldn't waste that information. How do we get British farming to change so that it's no longer at the expense of nature, but it's in line with nature? That's a big question. But. Yeah, maybe it's, you know, I don't think, I don't, I wasn't trying to teach anybody. I don't try and teach anybody. I just did it for myself to best tasting, healthiest food without a compromise. And that's the way I did it. Now, I, I thought that I could feed you know, half of the area up to London. And if I did this, even though it was a massive amount of capital, then that could become the, 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 the let's say, the answer to, to farming rather than paying farmers a lot of money each year. Um, commercially very difficult. No help from the government at all. We, we went to you know, a lot of the universities yeah. and spoke to them. Uh, the problem is they... What they do is fight for, for, for money. So if we went there, because we were really a lab in ourselves, yeah. you know, a proper lab. But when you went there, we'd do something, but we'd never get any money for it um, because they wanted the money to, to do the research. It's incredibly frustrating, isn't it? I'm frustrated just listening to it. It must be frustrating for you. Did you speak to, I, I say the government, I don't know, even know how you, where, where you start with that, because you would be for or somebody. Did, was, was there ever any interest in trying to understand the bigger picture because it feels like a, yeah. a problem that we should be trying to solve yeah we, we not were just you on your own yeah but but the, 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 probably one of the things is i wanted to move fast 
Right. And if you want a grant for something, I did get a grant for my compost site. Yeah. But if you get a, if you want a grant, it's going to take you a year or a year and a half of lobbying and doing what? Oh, I couldn't wait that long. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned compost then. So you did learn some stuff that you've then put into practice with, with compost, have you? Well, compost was part of what I yeah, absolutely learned. I mean, I was reading books from, from India, where, and I've got some of them down there. Don't ask me the names. But, <laughs> but um, th- that was the first part of the English guy down there, for the first part of uh, making these windrows and stuff like that. So I started studying that, and then with Elaine Ingram and all, all this stuff, studied making compost to the to grow the best. Yeah. The compost that they do here, they sterilize it. I mean, the, the regulations in compost in this country on this past 100 are the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. Really? Because there's supposed to be something like more bacteria or organisms in a handful. No, no, they of... don't want that. Yeah. Well, we, we have to send from 400, what's it, 400 tons of compost. We have to send a sample to test the E. coli. Right. Now, we don't do that with food. Yeah. But we do that with compost, and it's ridiculous because it's out in the open, and you've got to go take a piece of. You have to freeze it, or what's the name to try this? It's incredible! It's 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 just mind blowing. And and I've tried to do it, get them to change. But you know, you're talking about that level. You you can't you can't. You know, I had to do so much, and I thought, I'm not going to spend my months trying to lobby to get scientists to get uh, compost guys could do all of that to try and change something like that I just haven't got the time no, I'm too old to live for 200 years I can see why you might want to go and live in a nice Italian villa on the coast in Italy Jody it uh, sounds less stressful well, but I can thanks. tell you some other things but, <laughs> but, but yeah thanks for trying at least so the compost you make then is it is it different to the kind of you know general well, stuff so even with those constraints you can still well, make a great product okay the, the, the compost that we do is commercial so right. we do have to pass 100 and that's the only one you can do if you're getting green waste from the councils uh, when we do it put it back on our farm we then take it and enhance it right. and start getting the bacteria going and uh, compost tea on it and turning it and doing and, and leaving it longer okay and you can only do that for your own land you're not allowed to sell it basically <laughs> No, absolutely, yeah, shame, yeah. Isn't it? but it does blow my mind. The amount of bacteria and organisms in a in a, in a handful of soil is literally, you know, yeah. it's more yeah. than all the people yeah, yeah. on earth. People or don't understand that. They think it's ridiculous. And I don't think it's mud. It's just yeah. dirt. It's not. It's it's it is a handful of soil has got more living things than people on earth. Yeah, and like you Good say, soil. every single thing we eat comes from Bonus it. Soil. But yeah, the farming and this isn't kind of like you know having a pop at the farmers I suppose because there's reasons why we came this way and I guess off the back of the war and the need to to, to feed a growing population but um, it feels disappointing that we aren't learning fast enough I think it was Guy Singh Watson who said you know we there was you know, 40 cycles or something ridiculous left uh, in the number of times we could continue to use soil before we completely you know destroy it and that we need to be putting the work back into uh, yeah to making soil great again god that sounds like a trumpism yeah, yeah commercial it looks at soil completely different um they think well i've grown this it took this much of that element so we need to put that element back in there's normally enough in most soils to grow a decent plant yeah um but i you know i I sort of look back oh uh, yeah this was all see it sometime there's all little shells and all sorts of things at that time people grew The, the the sea is the only um uh, product, let's say, or whatever it is, that has all the elements in it. Right. And so uh, at so some time we were taking seawater and then spraying that yeah. onto the onto the crops because it had nearly every mineral and trace wow. element. And we found, and not a very good test, but we found, we did with tomatoes, and we found that the taste was better. Yeah, it was salt goes well with tomato, doesn't it? So I see. Um, you've also got Angus... Beef is it Aberdeen Angus cows? Is that right? That was a collector's item. Let's say I had okay. uh, I started with uh, Shorthorn and um, but uh, so I bought uh, some native Angus. Native Angus is the ones that haven't been crossed. Right, and okay. this is the difference because I because I read that they're endangered, and then I thought I see well, Angus beef on menus a lot. So this well, is a different. Yeah, this yeah. is a different well, thing. Basically. I say I say they probably dated a, 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 an Angus. You know. 
100 years ago. Really? Um, our ones, the ones we have, I've got short legs, flat back, uh, a little. So what they did then is how do we get more fillet? And right. so they cross it with a one, you know, big animal and that mm -hmm. all, all that sort. So 99% of all uh, Angus is Angus that has been crossed and crossed and crossed. Okay. Um, but the ones we have are pure. We had 29. There were about 200 in the world. We had 29 wow. breeding ones. We've cut back a little bit because okay. trying to make everything work. Yeah. Yeah, when I started to do these things, the best tasting healthy, you, you'd get an animal, let's say lamb, you know. This is a, it is the best. There's no question. It's beautiful. You can't sell it because the people that, they, they don't know, it hasn't got the right, you know, the right size. It isn't that. So you, you, you got nothing for your, you couldn't even, you, you, you should have got a higher price because it's much, you know, they don't have as many babies and all that thing. But um, you couldn't sell them. Yeah, that's frustrating. It's sad. It? It's sad, you know, it's sad. Yeah. And that's the fault of the supermarkets, is it? Could you sell direct to the consumer through the farmer's markets and stuff? Or is that just... Yeah, that's what you've got to do. But, you know, in a mom and pop type of organization, I think you can do that. And, and you, you're earning a living, although you probably work earn, for the hours you're earning a bad yeah, yeah. earning. Or less than minimum wage. But, but I was... I was bigger than that, yeah. so farmers markets were, we did a lot of them did you? and could never make them work. Right. Do you know Field and Flower, the uh, meat by post guys? Yeah, yeah. Only in the fact that I guess they're similar, you know, Guy rants equally as uh, passionately about the difficulties with uh, heritage you know, vegetables and the fact that there's no market with them with yeah, the supermarkets yeah, yeah, yeah. and the only way that he could do it commercially was to supply direct to the consumer, which he did through the boxes and yeah. filled and flowers. I had a box scheme, but that's, that's logistics. It's, yeah, not, it's not anything else. I did all of Abel and Cole's meat at one time. Yeah. Right. Mm. Okay. Uh, I interviewed the field and flower guys and they, they uh, yeah, whether there's any uh, interest. You're, you're still doing... We, we, we supply um, river food with some yeah. and we now supply, we did supply a lot to, to um, Abel and Cole and now we do supply a little bit more now. Okay, so you've, you've got a market at least. So some of the meat does go to... Uh, yeah. No, we don't do meat anymore. Oh, I closed the abattoir down. I, it, it was, it, we could not make that work. That is a very, very difficult um, sector to be in. I always say if your grandfather wasn't in meat, you shouldn't go in meat. Really? And it's, uh, yeah. Okay. Although unusual that you would build your own abattoir, I guess. Again, that came in your... Um, your, your but, but, you know, as I said earlier, I wanted to do every single element. Yeah. And so the abattoir is very important for the quality of meat. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's not enough of them. I speak to farmers who are frustrated by the lack of abattoirs and the regulation that goes into abattoirs. So you have one that's not in use now, do you? Yeah. We're full multi-species, one of the best abattoirs in the country. Not not big, but we did all species. Right. Um, Temple Grunding was the expert on the learage, so you don't stress. If you stress an animal bringing in it before you kill it, the yeah. meat is bad. Yeah. And um, with Helen Browning, yeah. they brought some cows here. Right. They said it's the best meat we've ever had really? because the way we went in there didn't st stress them. Yeah. It was all built around with these lights and it's round so they don't feel captured. And, um, and uh, yeah, that, it's a very important part if you do it properly in getting a good quality. So that was one of the elements. You start in the grass and yeah, to the plate. all the way through. Phenomenal, because yeah, very few people, you know, I suppose, yeah, can, you know, have, have, have the, yeah. uh, the resources to try and do it. But it's disappointing to know that it, it's, yeah, it's even with well, those resources, it's too hard to make viable. When we, when we started to, 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 to look at doing an abattoir, the, the, I don't know if it was the government or the Hampshire or whatever, we're trying to do an abattoir here. And yeah. they were putting money into research and everything else. I built one. Yeah. I've never had any any uh, help from anybody on, on that. So I couldn't make it work. Really? I'd love to make it into a school. Uh, we used to have, uh, I call them disinfected students come here once a, once, once a week and they on our land. And uh, in fact, my, my farm manager, that's how he started. He used to come here once a week as a bad student, right? And they loved it. And then he came and did some stuff on the weekends, and um, then he worked for us full time. And I made him my—he's twenty, he was twenty-four. I made him my, my uh, farm manager. Amazing. 
And mm. I, I love our sector, and I say our sector just generally around food and drink in the fact that um, you know you, you don't need to be an academic, you don't need to sit behind a computer uh, up in London. We should be uh, encouraging those kind of you know the creative sector, I suppose. Do, do you do well, much of that? Well, the problem with, with all this, a lot of the rules, it, it, it is done, like you said, in, in London. Mm. They don't really understand the, the, the um, practical part of it. Mm. They put these regulations in. Um, and even the EU regulations, England follows them. Forget about it in Italy. Yeah, yeah, no, that's come up before. Yeah, we uh, we agree to a rule and employ a hundred people to enforce it, whereas France might agree to a rule and then don't employ anybody to enforce it. Well, yeah, well, yeah, or, 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 or you know, yeah. I mean, the, the the mozzarella place we went on the thermometers was all wood, and they were yeah, putting yeah, it yeah. in. What? Yeah, if you have wood in the factory, the, we. To the palate, which only pops in a little bit so we can put it on. You can't do that. That's yeah, strange, I mean, isn't it? Why Why is that the case? It's, a, it's more the, it's a theoretical way where the, the Italians say, listen, they've been making it for 100 years. They do this. They know what they're doing. Um, and I think that's... that's yeah, I've, I've, when I went out and did my search, I went to eight different factories and, and parlours. Yeah. Only one were in whites. Really? And, I, and my conclusion was, how do you make good mozzarella? You've got to have a fan <laughs> like this when, you, when you're making the watch now. Yeah, that, that, that authenticity uh, is key, I suppose. You, um, you also diversified into hops and started making beer and vineyards. Are you yeah. still doing that? Or was that part of the stuff that you've had? Yeah, to- we, we, uh, 18 acres of hops down there um, to do beer. Making your own or supplying? No, other we were going to put a, a, a brewery up there, but we use another brewery. Okay. Um, and they make it for us. We do the barley and hops right. uh, for them. Again, it's a, such a different sector. We couldn't, we can't make it, and we haven't made it work commercially. Okay. And same with vineyard. Did you Sparkling do vineyard? Yeah. I got a vineyard. Sparkling. Yeah. Have you? Good. <laughs> well, if you want, to, the most grapes we had were ten tons. Right. And then we had the good weather. What two years two ago? Two years ago. Yeah. Thirty-two tons. Wow. Now we're going to be fantastic, you know. Yeah. We're going to because ten tons you can't make a profit. It costs yeah. you one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy thousand pounds to to monitor, you know, to do the um, cutting of the plants, do the trimming and stuff like that. This year we had we're blown out with disease. Wow! So, really? so we have zero. So we had that cost. So. Stuff. Did you build your own winery to produce no, it as well? Or no, you were outsourcing I had planning that. permission. That was, that was lucky. I, I had planning permission to do the winery over there. It did a beautiful thing, coming out of the ground and everything like this. And thank goodness I didn't do it. Okay. Do you use somebody else? I interviewed uh, Hattingley. Do you know Hattingley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we use Hattingley at you the know? moment. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. I, I interviewed the, uh, yeah, the boss of that. And uh, he was saying that was going to be the next challenge, actually, was the number of, uh, of wineries because more and more people were producing the grapes but not necessarily building yeah, a winery well, due yeah. to the level of uh, expense. He, he's done it fantastically, and I think commercially, and he's gone into it. Um, in a, in, in, that's the only thing he does. Yeah, absolutely. And so, do one so thing really as, well. You know, that's the, what there was my problem. I needed an entrepreneur for every sector I was do. doing. Yeah, really. It's hard enough getting a manager, but yeah. getting an entrepreneur was impossible. Yeah, yeah. I thought that I could do it sounds like you were close you're so close pulling off have you ever done flour you ever tried milling I'm trying <laughs> <laughs> we were we were going to put up a, a restaurant and a um, farm shop and do cheeses with Bombay Sapphire in those grounds they they gave us two buildings that we could do that in right. and that was going to be part of it I would have, was going to have the grinding machine yeah. in there we are going to do the whole process um because that's another thing that there's a shortage of. I um, Stokes Flour interviewed them, and uh, you know we used to stone grind flour, and that's what keeps the uh, the endosperm in it, and you get all the oils and the you know the, yeah, the proper yeah, stuff. Yeah. Flour now that lasts two years on the shelf has got no nutritional value whatsoever. But apparently, it's the uh, it's the kind of traditional stone grinding mills that are the issue. The demand is there, um, but yeah, most of the car, the, you know, the new yeah. milling places are all drums and, and air blown, and they take but, out all the nutrition. You know, Don't build one on the basis of this conversation. Please, no, 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 I looked at it. I looked at it. Yeah, I looked at it. I looked at all of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to do 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 that, um, and we're going to do the grinding of the with the stone and do, do all of that. Um, but well, the funny thing is that that uh, bread that my chef makes now, yeah, it doesn't do, it doesn't do anything that's very special. But it's it's 
beautiful. Yeah, he probably uses good flour though, isn't he? Yes, uh, they, they always said it was French flour was the only flour that made good bread. Yeah. Um, he doesn't use French. No, it's flour, just flour. just good flour, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So you went on this, you know, phenomenally impressive but crazy adventure of building all of this stuff, and 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 hats off to you. And I wish the government, you know, kind of you know funded you because there's clearly so much knowledge in there. But there was a trigger a few years ago, was there, where you said, right, actually, this has got to stand on its own two feet. Well, well, I, what I say is, I I was rich and stupid. Now I'm clever and poor. Right. It's all relative, of course. Of but, course. Uh, yeah. Okay. So was there was there a particular trigger point where you went, right, I, you know, I'm going to stop getting bigger. And, and start getting better. And I don't mean better from actually, I, I love everything you built, but better from a long-term commerciality perspective. Yeah, that's just, I was running out of money. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and that. so I had to. So I had, I had to do something right. that would change it um, to become, so the, the, the things that weren't working or wouldn't work in the short term, yeah. I started cutting them out. Right. Um, um, I had to do that. You know, so you've gone from 130 odd staff down to 50 odd. Is that 180 correct? 180 we had. 180 staff. We've got 55 now, more or less 55. Okay. Stopped doing some of the periphery stuff. Yeah. So your main thing now is, is, and, is and from a commercial, you know, the farm was producing products for my producing um, what do you call it? products for my products that we make yeah so a small quantity and that's right. one of the difficulties in trying to make it work now the farm is is now a normal much more a normal farm except for the buffalo yeah. and we made a profit on the farm three years ago did you for the first time so you've you've scaled back so we, what's your your main products now then what's your core range you went from 120 in Ocado you said how many have you got now so we got uh, we got the beer, we got yeah. the, the, the the sparkling wine, and we've got the mozzarella, which is the main product, and the ice cream. Right. Those are our main pro products, really. And you mainly sell to the retailers, or mainly to restaurants, distributors. I mean, Pret was our biggest customer before they took it off the menu. But uh, restaurants, um, we we had five trucks and were delivering directly. Couldn't make that work, so now we go through distributors. Right. Okay, so you've been and specifically uh, farming more than your previous yeah. careers, I guess. You you've been on this phenomenal adventure, like you say, learnt so much. Is there a particular element of it that you're the most proud of? Because there sounds like there's some bits that you beat yourself up for and going, I shouldn't have done that. But what's the bit that you still go, yes, no, I'm bloody you pleased know, I, I did that. I made I have prizes for nearly every product we had. Right. So we made very good products as yeah. we went along. Um, but it didn't it didn't work commercially. So then changing it from a loss making and a, a lot of loss uh, into a profit was something that I had to do. Because yeah. I should have stopped 10 years ago and gone to the beach. But um, uh, so that's, you know, I feel now I feel a bit proud because I've not only done those products, but now it's a, it's a commercial enterprise that, uh, that works. Yeah. Pleased you did it? Yeah, I have no, I have no regrets. The regret maybe is that I stopped uh, ten years ago. I should have, I would have liked to have made it like I have now, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, but a phenomenal, phenomenal amount of knowledge that you've acquired. Yeah, no, no, I've met lo lovely people, and and on the way, there's no question, and and a whole knowledge of a whole different thing. I mean, all my three. Um, Careers have been completely yeah, different. Hugely, yeah. So, but, but, but all taken to the ultimate extreme of uh, changes. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm really hoping that we are, whilst nervous. I, I, in fact, I think it was Geising Watson again who said things are both getting worse and better at the same time. So there's the the intensive. Uh, farming continues its trajectory, but hopefully the more sort of boutique-y, uh, knowledge-orientated space is changing. So I'm an optimist, so I like to think that it's changing. But I'm going to guess it either needs some sort of transformational knowledge change in a decent sector of the size of people who maybe have been farming for multi-generation, or it's going to need new people to come into the industry. Is there any advice you would either give the new person coming in, um, which isn't hopefully, you know, run for the hills and don't do it, or any advice that you would give... You know the rest of the farming sector, based I suppose on on doing things you know the, the right way. But as you've said, at some point it's got to be commercial as it well. It depends what you're trying to do. You know, if you're trying to, you're doing a farm for a business point of view. Yeah. Um, then it's different. If you're doing it from a from a product, I was trying to I was trying to have a brand. 
you know. So it was it was different, and it was a it was a big big idea mm. with all these different products, and so it was too big an idea if you wanted to, to to say it like that. So so there's so many different ones. You can have small, really niche uh, type of uh, what's that? That's more mom and pop. Yeah. And then you have the the commercial. That is, how much can we do in its only volume? Um, it's got to be a balance of the both. Yeah. Okay. You're still interested in cars? Uh, yeah, I like driving cars. I've got 12 of my cars that I raced. Yeah. Um, but I road cars. I have Mercedes and love them. And I like like the new ones. I don't like the old ones actually. Um, um, when they come out with this new, new whatever it is, they, they improve cars every year uh, massively. Yeah. You own the Ferrari that you won in in 79, yeah. is that yeah. right? My dad, uh, I texted my dad this morning, he's a big F1 fan, and said I was going to see you any questions, and his question was, where's the car? And I said, ah, I think I can answer that one already. Um, because Carfest is something that you're also involved with. Yeah. Was that from an, a sort of an interest in cars, or was that the need to diversify? No, I met Chris Evans at, a, at actually James Martin's, they were at a dinner there. Not when sat, you made the plum mozzarella dish? No, 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 no. I think it was before, yeah, it was before okay. that. And he said, oh, I want to do this family festival. And so I said, well, you could, you could do it on Lavastoke. And Monday morning he announced it. Really? And that's how, that's how it all started. And it's, I think it's the eighth year now, a million and a half pounds for charity each year. That's, that's incredible. Isn't and uh, we, we don't run it. We just lend them the farm as part of the charity. Right. Uh, do you enjoy it? You, you get involved, presumably? Yeah, I think much more now than I did at the beginning. Yeah. Um, when I was trying to make, you know, so take advantage or try and get our products out there and we, we, we cooked a whole animal on a spit, a, a buffalo on a spit wow. and did all sorts of things. Um, but now we have uh, our own area, our own hospitality area where we bring our customers and our friends and stuff like that. And that's nice. And I love taking people around the track uh, Mercedes lend me some of their very special cars and I try and frighten everybody taking them around the track and that's that's fun for me. That's awesome. Is this a track you built? or? Well, it started as we went down the road, down the farm road and back and then we we wanted to make it more so we went through the compost site. Um, so, oh, really? we, yeah, we opened the, all the compost up and you had to go through there and that was, and they, they then said, no, that's not, that's, that's, doesn't work for us and it stopped our compost being made for a big period of time it was very expensive to do so they said well we'll change the farm roads a little bit and so yes i have an, a lovely little track excellent i've got images now do you, do you get to go and take your car your car's based here do you get to go and have a play with them on the track or no i've I had the idea that we'll come on a weekend and get some friends and all that but i haven't really that sounds like way more fun than taking on the government and trying to get them to understand the uh, the biology of soil on behalf yeah, of British yeah, farming. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, in a road car, it's, it's lovely. But um, and this year we we organised the Grand Prix cars from 1904 wow. to 92, um, and the because the racing side of the cars that they had were not very good at all. So we took it over. And um, because they have cars that are beds, forty-five percent children. Yeah. So nice. it's so diverse. Yeah. It's a brilliant event from a family point of view, and you can't do everything in one day. Yeah. yeah. No, I need to come. I've got friends who've come, and, and everybody I've spoken to, nothing but positive uh, yeah. stuff to say about it. So we, yeah, we'll, we'll the come. police didn't even come this yeah, last time. That's brilliant. My yeah. wife used to get the police to to do a, a dance on the stage. Yeah. Um, but there's 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 so little problems that uh, they didn't even come. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, it's an event with, with uh, what, 28,000 people? Yeah, amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. It was fr because people are all, get, you know, mostly got their kids there, so they just talk to each other. And, you know, it's, it's that's, the, the atmosphere is brilliant. Yeah, just a, just a nice vibe and raises a, a heap of cash. Yeah. So um, coming towards a, a, a close, Jody. but out of everything you do, what now gives you the, the most pleasure and gets you excited in the morning to, um, to get out of bed? Um, going to the beach. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've worked so hard in my life going to all the three different uh, um, things that I've done. 
So I want to just relax and enjoy myself now. I think you've earned it. I'm glad you said that. I think you, it's exhausting just listening to the uh, yeah the yeah. amount the amount of love and passion yeah. you've put into what you do. These are beaches in in hotter countries. Clearly not Bournemouth. You've not well, been. I got, to a little, I got a little place in South Africa on the beach, ah, and nice. then I've just got a little place in Italy on the sea. Yeah, beautiful. Um, can people buy? People who are listening who want to buy the product. I mean, we're the humans of hospitality, so much of it is, is sort of the bar and restaurant trade, which I guess is through um, wholesalers. But do you also do you supply directly to the consumer? Ocado and Waitrose. Okay, that's our that's our big customers from a retail point of view. Okay, you can't purchase directly on your website. Or? No, we okay. used to have that. Yeah. Um, Log- logistically challenged. One of the things you cut back to. Yeah, uh, yeah. To I mean, you know, it's 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 if you're doing high volume, then and you're doing it very efficiently. That's great. Um, but you know, Ocado did it so well. Yeah. So we sort of eventually let let them do it. We thought we can make more profit because you're direct, but uh, you've got to, it's, it. It's that's another kind of whole business is, doing a uh, mail to, order. Yeah. yeah, I need to learn from you. We did the same at a much smaller scale, but just uh, thinking in the winters, my restaurant's on the beach, and in the in the winter, it's hard to get people to come to the beach to the restaurant. Yeah. And we thought, oh, we'll take food to the people rather than people to the food. So we'll do a takeaway, and then what you know what what travels well. Funny enough, you know, pizza. So we thought, right, we'll do uh, you know really good quality British ingredients, but we'll go and learn about traditional Italian pizza and the flour they use and what makes an amazing base. And then we said, right, you know, we'll we'll deliver it ourselves. And I bought a car and I bought a couple of scooters and stuff. And just the logistics on that level of working out that on a, at eight o'clock on a Saturday night, you need about 40 cars and people, but the rest of the week, you you know, you need less than one. Yeah. Uh, and the complexity, Uber, it's Uber, just You should have got Uber. Well, now we do. Now we use, yeah, Deliveroo and Uber and the well, price when, of that. When I started my box scheme, you know, I, I said, oh, we, we, we're selling three or 400 boxes a week. Wow. Yeah. I said, right, so why don't we get a salesperson? We'll yeah. put a salesperson on. You work it out, you've got to do 2,000 boxes to just, just to pay, pay for your person. salary. It's, it's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. Well, look, thank you for sparing the time, Joe. It's been fascinating. Good luck. I, I'll continue to watch with interest. Your products are amazing. My chefs love them, and I know lots of other chefs do. So, thank you. Yeah, keep going. Keep, keep, keep the obsession alive. Thank and, uh, yeah, good luck with whatever comes well, next. It sounds like you've got the same disease as me. I do, too, but luckily... Um, yeah, luckily with a smaller budget, although it's all relative. I think I've probably yeah, spent an equally unaffordable amount of, um, of money on ideas. Yeah. But, um, but it's good fun. I think life is for learning and, uh, and smiling yeah, very and, and hospitalities, so. you know, an enjoyable industry to do it in, I think, isn't it? So thank you, Jody. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. And remember that on the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk, every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned. And we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics. So you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday